and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between. Oh, welcome back to another edition of the Ryan Show FM with your host, Ryan Vernell. And I survived the Hampton Cannabis Expo 2023, the sixth annual. And I'm here for two hours of raw dog Americana, baby. American culture at its finest. And who better to start off the show than my friend Steph G, who I met at the Ohika Castle, I believe is the name of it. It was a uh, charity for 1-800-LICKERS. My girl, Lamara Rice, sent me over Steph G's contact info, but we had a great interaction at the castle. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring her on. She's a drill rapper, not normally the type of rapper that we bring on this program, but she's got some hard-ass music and some powerful energy, and she's overall a pretty kick-ass chick, so we're going to get right into it with her. After all, drill rap is a part of Americana, whether you like it or not. And after that, we're going to be enlightened. We're going to bring my pal Joseph Hill back. Joseph Hill, a great historian from St. Paul. Joseph has taught us so much since he's been a part of this program about not just... I don't even want to say black history. It's American history. He's teaching us about American history, some of which we should have been taught as kids but never were. Some of you rednecks that are listening to the show, no offense, are just taught lies, absolute lies. And we're going to re-educate the masses. We're going to spread the truth. No bias, no political bias at least. We want nothing but hard-hitting facts when it comes to our American history and American culture on this program. So who better to give it to us than Joseph Hill? And he can be followed at Official Black Truth. I want to make sure that you guys follow his page so we give him some incentive to keep creating this great content, not just writing books and making documentaries. We got to bring him into the modern age, baby. All right, we got so much going on tonight. We're going to get right into it. We're going to be playing some new music, breaking some old music. Why not? It's music that's been long forgotten unless you're a real fan of hip-hop. A lot of good stuff here for you tonight, guys. More of me, less of them. This is The Ryan Show FM, and we will return. Honky Wonky, take it away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a hustler, baby. I'm a hustler, baby. I know heartbreaks, setbacks. If I crap out, I'm sure I'm gonna get back. I've been through the ups and downs. You know I get around, so to me, it's all a part of the game. If I ain't the cold man, or the dope man, I'm almost for show man. I gotta take it, no need to say I'm gonna take it. Robberies turn homicide, it's nothing to play with. Make money, make, make, make money When you hit the fan, we'll take money Southside, be with the best of them Done, shout at the rest of them yeah. Checks, I'm collecting them Check, boy, I'm finessing them Big bags of bread Boy, you f*** around, put a big bag on your head For the weather, break your dead Let's get to it, they don't do it like we do it uh. Cop it, whip it, bag it, flip it We up, we up, beat up, what up Running around this still not giving a f*** hey. When it come out that paper, there'll be no complications Put a hole in the n- right in front of you, your heart be pacing And it's alright That's how we do it on this side Get to it on this side I know heartbreaks, setbacks If I crap out, I'm sure I'ma get back I've been through the ups and downs You know I get around, so to me It's all a part of the game If I ain't the cold man, or the dope man I'm almost the show man I gotta take it, no need to say you I'm gon' take it I'm gonna be turned homicide, nothing to play with it's all a part of the game You gotta play your cards right Don't get caught without the pipe all night Lurking on sight Never go without a fight Win or lose or wrong or right Protect your life Cause I do both it like you was just a bite Two Cuban links just like I'm titty boy Right around your city boy Two-tone boogers up in my face Look like a tip boy More money, more problems Got me feeling like I'm Diddy boy Biggie boy Now you see why these can dig it for me Try to post up on this block I bet we won't allow it My great that nigga out the lot We put him on the island We need some silence Suppress it when it's started riding I had two drivers 
ups and downs, you know I get a frown So it's me, so the part of the game If I ain't the cold main, or the dope main I'm gonna lose the show main I gotta take it, you need to say I'm gonna take it, robberies turn homicide Don't think rhyming. You with pop. 
Pablo, Bravo, Mario, Via Bono, Tato. I stood alone watching the wall in his own hand on my hand, listening to gangster music. I stood at home, hand on the chrome in his own flicking and chant, watching how the gangsters do it. Say with me. I stood alone watching the wall in his own hand on my hand, listening to gangster music. I stood alone getting dome from a thick chicken sandwich, watching Shad clocking mad. California Highway Patrolman Launch codes were stolen and sold by Ed Snowden I fled to Rome and told him to dress me as a Roman I'm still in photos posing with my own omen A thumping kicker for me to slam like Hope Hogan is something like a plain bumper sticker, no slogan This something for the shooters and back and forth commuters Who never knew the difference in laws and jurisprudence I feel as though it's safe to assume that you're the students And I can prove to the way that me and Doom do this You checking the top two of a thousand intelligent chaps with rap Projects and housing developments Cool the cross-legged on a crate Like it's elegant Try to hate I'm puffing up your face like a pelican Highly enveloped and activating my melanin Y'all failing to see what's shaking Besides gelatin News bulletin I refuse to take the medicine Fuck the thick skin I got me an exoskeleton The black column feral and a lobster Deliver like an obstetrician But not a doctor Bring the Cambridge The Webster's The Oxford's The picture too long to watch See the synopsis Compensated for playing nice as optics Product of the last poets in the watch profits I stop it, it's beyond out of pocket Dunzo, I hit the gun show and got a rocket Catastrophic, supreme microphones In Mexico we the legendary dos cojones Brothers both components Other close to colas, court holers With bars as hard as Angola's Get rude with the dude off chips The mood switch, she chewed off strips of a brood witch Danger make a groove with a glitch Major boo booty twitch and the crew rich Always wanted to say that Ever since the days in hallways taunting the stray cat The one he often frequently slapped around All the while waited then graduated cap and gown Hated the rap sound, debated the crap until he felt he had it mapped down. Enough to have the game trapped and bound. Scratching the crown with the names of lames who yapped the noun. Or verb for that matter, had no data for a herb who chat chatter. Oh, Eric Estrada, fat rat, the mask made him batty as a mad hatter. Known for his absurd word choices, and will ignore you if you ask him if he heard voices. Look, the energy is crazy Far as he was concerned, the enemy was lazy <clears throat> Your attention please, freeze He came to seize the free cheese Before he flees to Belize In case you forgot to mention, squeeze these Just keep it on a need to know basis They knew he was a negro, so no need to show faces Back in the days of no laces On a slow pace, they used to say he might could go places 
man Whatever the cases The card he played was ace of spades But no racist A spastic Some call loony When he spit a tune Sarcastic as Paul Mooney Hello everybody We are back again This is indeed the Ryan Show FM And I might be lamping in the Hamptons But my friend Who I actually met at the Ohika Castle, I was doing these red, I guess you said red carpet interviews. And yes, all the celebrities so were coming fun. up. That's right. For that 1-800-LICKER celebrity party fighting against cancer or d up on cancer, something like that. But I met this chick that really stood out to me, not because of the vibrant red hair, but because she had vibrating energy. A lot of people yes. were snooty, snobby, but she was fun and enlightening. And I want to introduce her all to you, Steph G., is here on the right hey what's up y'all i'm steph g and steph g we heard your music man like we as in the show actually played you i want to say two weeks ago on the show you had a song with rowdy rebel and it was pretty g it was a dance song yeah that was that was i did that one about a year year and a half ago but it was it was fun to work on that project with him is it somebody, is Rowdy, uh, Rowdy Rebel somebody that you know? Is he a friend or just somebody that you did a feature with? Um, It was somebody at the time that I did, I did a feature with. You know, we had connections or whatever, so, you know, they put it together. Nice. But he was That's cool. He was in the studio. We was vibing. It was cool. Yeah, he, he seems pretty cool. I will say that uh, that the song is definitely catchy. Yeah, the song is I'm With The Gang. Yeah. I'm with Everybody the gang, yeah. <laughs> and especially when you're going through the Hamptons, like full blast, that like Brooklyn <laughs> drill gang music, it just resonates yes. different in these Hamptons yes. airs. Uh, man, but yo, you've got some fire ass music, and a lot yeah. of it kind of taps into the pulse of Brooklyn. You're very Brooklyn. Yeah, that's where of, I'm from. That's right, Brownsville. I saw you from Brownsville. Yeah. And the chopped cheese, I would say, is a staple of New York City, but. A lot of boroughs claim it. You, who's so connected to this wonderful sandwich through your music, I need to ask you, Steph G, let's start here. Where the hell is the chopped cheese really from? What borough? So it's not, it, it's really like, it's really known for the Bronx and Uptown. I'm glad like, you have some honesty the, with that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm honest. I just love yeah. chopped cheese. You know, that song, it was really more of a New York thing. Of course, I always represent my my city but yeah. it was more to show this is new york like we we love chopped cheese so i actually went to a store that i know makes really good chopped cheese uptown and that's where i did the video and that is the best chopped cheese in new york city the one that you went to in uptown? i feel like it's, it's top three top so what's top? i mean it might be hard to put it into a top three but what are the top three just for those that are out here watching um i would say that one there's another one that's called chopped cheese it's two literally said yeah, okay. this one's chopped cheese. That was in the Bronx. So those they all go hand in hand, I would say. Damn. So one thing that comes up when you are Googled, you're very Googleable, right? I always try to like Google yeah. whoever it is that comes on. And it says that you were known in New York on the streets, essentially. Like people knew about you long before the music. Yeah. So what was that transition like? Were people surprised that knew you for yeah, other things? Yeah, of course. Of course, they were surprised. Yeah. You know, I think it takes a lot of time for people to get used to, you know, something yeah. new that you're you're doing. So it takes time, but you know, they see what's up now. They see I'm here. Yeah, because you are. I mean, look, you've got a couple <laughs> of songs now. They're out here training. Uh, so, were you around music a lot though before you actually started making it? I'm sorry. What was that? 
were you around music before you started making it? Oh yeah, always, always. Well, I wasn't around. I wasn't like really deep in the industry or anything like that. But I was yeah. just always into music, and I was doing choreography as well. So oh. that kind of tapped me into like the the whole music stuff or whatever. But I always been around music. I always wrote, but now I'm actually putting it out there. But not actual like music industry stuff. Just we're no. a fan of music. Yes, 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 yes. And then I would do like shows. I would dance for certain artists back in the days. So that's nice. like the closest it ever got. But I was never really deep into the music industry or anything like that. Who would you say is the king of New York right now? King and queen of New York 2023. We've got all these different rappers that are out here. And you're one of them. You're on this list of people that are aiming for that spot. Who would you consider yeah. at this point, culturally speaking, the hip hop king and queen of New York? So, you know, I got respect for everybody, but yeah. I don't look at nobody yeah. like the queen or the king. I love that. Because you're not going to call anybody else the king or the queen. I See, it's good to ask those types of questions because you get real reactions. Especially yeah. here in the stream. Yeah. <laughs> here on the stream, there's no holds bar here. And, yo, you're talking to ops in a lot of songs. And that's why I dig your music. Because I have hatred for the ops. Yeah, I feel you, a lot of you hate know, sometimes. Sometimes you got to let them know what's up. <laughs> you, sometimes. I All think that time. sometimes my problem is I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. My ops know they're my ops. So I get it. <laughs> Period. That's as you should. I always say you come you come for me, I come for everything. I don't try yeah, to be I'm like that too. I, I'm I'm petty as fuck. Like just don't come Yeah, me I don't even stuff. think it's petty. I just feel like sometimes you just have to really uh you know let people know what it is. Otherwise it could really end up ending a lot worse if you let people take advantage of you. That's why that's the problem. When that's I always say that when they try to play you one time, you gotta stop it right there. Like, don't let them think they could do that shit again. Absolutely. And and that's like that type of energy that resonates through the music. So yeah. you know it's tough. How do you uh how do you ignore it though? Do you ignore it? Do you think about it sometimes? Like people's haters kind of fuel them and keep them going. Does it have any effect um, on you? Nah, honestly, I, I talk shit in my music. But I don't really let it take up too much of my time. Like, at the end of the yeah. day, I be feeling like a lot of people have beef with themselves. Bingo. At this point. So I just let it be and just do me. That's it. I love it. I love your one video where you've got your whole group of uh, girls with you. And you're going face you to face with the ops. Hell yeah. Yeah. And you're up on the basketball court face to face. Yeah. That's some serious cinematography. So when you do your music videos, are those your actual friends out there with you? Yeah, um, a lot of them, a lot of them are. And some girls, yeah. you know, I put up, I'm having a music video, whatever, and they pull up. And they just pull up. So do you keep yeah. a small circle? Do you, do you ever find that, like, the bigger you get, the smaller the circle gets? Yeah, but I've always been like that. Yeah. Like, I always kept my circle real tight. Like, you know, I fuck with a lot of people, but, you know, there's still certain people that, that's, like, your real people you could confide in. And, you know, like, you really fuck with. So I think it's going to always be a small circle for me. To be yeah. honest. Absolutely. Now, one thing I find the deeper I go in the industry is the money comes from other avenues and other business ventures. What's the most unexpected income stream that you've generated since you've become like the Steph G and become known more nationally? Mm -hmm. Um, I can't really. I really don't remember, to be honest. I'm sure there's something. I'm not trying to get you. Like for me. I randomly yeah. work for a meat company now. 
Like yeah. there's something I was never in a million years. There's all these weird doors that open up. Yeah, always. But I'm a hustler. Like I always been a hustler. So I always find a way to make money. Like no matter what. Like if I'm not making money towards this, I'm gonna put I'm gonna find another way to make money. So always. Yeah. And uh yeah, so Making money is important, but art is very important too. What do you, what is it that actually fuels your creativity? At what point? Because like like you said, you were doing a lot of other stuff before you got into music. At what point yeah. was there like a moment in time where you were like, "Yo, I need to express myself through art"? Was it you yes. were in studio? What's the story behind that? Yeah, so the story behind it was like, like I told you, I always been like a music fanatic. Like I always think about yeah. it too. Like, why well, I, I never did music, but I never saw myself as that. As that. So for me, it was more like. It was more like I saw myself as something big. I always saw myself as like a star. So I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, that's just how my mentality was going up. And then one day, honestly, my, this is how I really started. My brother, he told me playing around to jump on a verse. And I was like, all right. So I jumped on the verse. I went to the studio, wrote my own song. And then everybody just, when they heard my voice, like some of it was a little whack, but once they heard my voice and they saw the energy, they was like, you know, this could really be a thing. Like, if you go hard, like, it could get crazy. So that's really how it happened. So now, I, and what motivates me to do is really just my family, really. Yeah. Is there like an end game? Like, do you have some insane ambition? Like, I want to be the queen of New York, per se, or I want to be the greatest of all time. I don't believe in queen of New York, but if you were yeah. the queen of New York, hell yeah, there's a queen of New York. You Like, are you aiming for something crazy high? Like, where are the actual I aspirations? Do. I am definitely aiming to be high. I don't, I'm not yeah. doing this just to be regular. Like, yeah. I want to be that that girl yeah and why is that is it why do you want to be that girl is it because of I don't what know, comes I with just, it is it for yourself is it because of the no, money i just i just feel like i just feel like i don't know i just feel like i have a lot to say and i feel like a lot of people can relate to my story and i just want to show people a lot like i just want to show people if you really dedicate yourself and you manifest things like it could really happen so i just i just want to be like a role model to, to be honest so, so, oh, so you go for the role model role. Okay. I like that. <laughs> not role model because, you know, I'm not no saint, but you got what I mean. I know what you're saying because like, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a saint. People can look up to you for other things too, not necessarily exactly. bad things, but there's plenty of like awesome people that weren't necessarily saints and did some really cool stuff that you could admire. So exactly. for you to fall in that, would you consider yourself an anti-hero? Like a Tony uh -huh. Soprano or I guess uh, who's like a female anti-hero? The chick from Weeds? Pretty much yeah. any female from any TV show or any male from any TV shows. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't look at the answer here as a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they're the good person. They do the right thing. They just do it by any means necessary at times. Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. I don't know. I say it depends on my mood and depends on my day. But <laughs> yeah. So I what's a know. good day for you, Steph G? What puts you in a good mood? Yeah. What puts me in a good mood is just being around good energy. You know, have the vibes going on, everybody drinking, have a good time. I, I just like being with good people and good energy. And money. Yes. I love being around money. <laughs> yes, because with it comes good energy sometimes. Sometimes yeah. there's a lot of dorks or people that have high dork energy with money. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Can't and stand I that. Like Keep I that, that dork energy away. Exactly. Yeah, oh, my God. That's like that's my new saying is I just say keep your dork energy away from me. <laughs> I'm gonna use drinking. that. Use that. <laughs> right? Yeah, people use that word. I was drinking in a parking lot. I'm not like an alcoholic, but I was just having a beer. I was at some some event or something. And some guy goes, "You know, there's no drinking in the parking lot." And I said, "Sir, just keep your dork energy away from me." 
Yeah, seriously. Talk to the like, hands. first of all, mind your business. Why are you even yeah. worrying about me? Crazy. Where, where the damn hemp is. So, uh, yeah. That being said, protecting your energy, vitally important. Drinking, yes. very important too. Sometimes when you mix too much drinking with high energy people like us, it gets crazy. I saw you tweeted yeah. just last night, Steph G, that liquor poisoning is <laughs> a real thing. It is. is that, it's for real. It really is. Yeah. It is. Oh my God. I'm just now like recovering, honestly. But I was throwing up. I, I felt like I was going to faint. Like, I was like, it makes you really say, I'm not going to drink again. <laughs> Yo, I legit thought you'd come up here looking like the exorcist after she got possessed. You're looking good for alcohol poisoning. Really? Right I feel like I look crazy, but thank you. No, no. So, what, what was it? What did it do last night? Um, I was I was doing a hosting, yeah. and then we found some after hours by mistake, literally. Like, we didn't Ooh. even know it was after hours because it was like 3 30, and we was like, fuck it, let's just try. So, we went. <laughs> so, we didn't get out of there until like 6 30. So, okay. yeah, oh, I was fucked it. up. It was too much drinking. Yeah, the drinking does it. It's, it's definitely the drinking. And, um, but you know what? It's, it's also it's something that kind of does bring that good energy and good times. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think that's the other two. That's how I feel like if you're around good energy, then drinking is happy drinking, you know? What gets me is when, uh, when, cause I'm little. Like, I don't know if you yeah. remember. I'm like, I'm like a little dude. I'm like 135. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like a little like, like twig of a man at this point. I'm like disappearing. It's all because it's damn intermittent fasting. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. With me. But I get lit now. And my worry is saying or doing something I don't remember. So I don't know. And, and the more people that know about you and the bigger your platform gets, the more you kind of have to worry about putting a limit on things. I can't stand yeah. it. Is that something no, that you ever true. face? Yeah, no, for sure. Sometimes, like, they'll say that I did something. I'll be like, oh, my God. Like, especially talking-wise, bitch, like, you just said this, you said that. And I'm like, damn. Like, what did I do? But it's definitely, I noticed that, especially if I, like, switch the type of liquor that I'm drinking, that's when it's, like, it's a hot mess. Yo, that is a very, very good point. When you switch the liquor, you must be prepared because yeah. it yeah. will hit the fan. It will hit the Man. fan. You know, another thing that uh, I don't really like to mess with anymore is edibles, the weed edibles. Really? So again, it, I, I it, it puts edibles. me to sleep. Really? I used to do them all the time. Yo, okay. So I, it was like acid. Yo, Steph G, it goes deep. Let me tell you, girl, I've had some weird nights in my life. Some really weird <laughs> nights. I've been to some I've been to some different dimensions in my life. I wasn't really? just, uh, you know, uh, weed edibles. I've done the mushrooms. I've tried a little mm -hmm. bit of hippie drugs, the acid, all that good stuff. Yeah. But one time I ate about 2,500 milligrams of edibles and it put me into straight zombie mode. And I, mean, I just, I, I, I was burnt for like a month and I just was like, all right, that's it for me. I didn't realize it. I was just eating, eating it like candy. I'm like a fiend for the candy and I'm like, I'm freaking eating all this candy. Better. Yo, the next thing you know, just literally like, quit looking crazy. No, that you, you overdid it. That's why I only take a little bit when I do do it. I take a little bit. Cause the thing is I can't smoke. Cause if I take really? one thing, no, yeah, I'm not really a drug person. All I could do is really edibles. So when I do now, when I smoke, it's like, it just knocks me out. I can't function. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing is with pot, you either have to smoke all day long or barely ever because whatever the hell they yeah. put in now gets you so high. And if you don't want to be an actual pothead and smoke pot all day long, you better prepare, be prepared for a serious high when you take that hit yeah. of a joint now <laughs> or a blunt. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. Different. Uh, well, I say all that because, you know, um, obviously, like listening to your music, I get those vibrations. I crack something open. I start smoking a little something. And I hope all of those listening 
do the same thing, but responsibly, of course, as our, uh, we move into this next break, we're going to play some all new Steph G and we're going to pop open a bottle of Vian, our sponsor here. Everybody go to uh, sovereignbrands.com. But Steph, first, what do we have coming up? Any live performances? Where can we see you play next in New York? Yes, I am doing a performance. I can't say yet, but the news is going to be out soon. I'm doing a performance, and I'm definitely going to probably put out another single, but we're still working where you at right now. Just drop the freestyle. Go check it out. It's on my page, Steph G. That's a freestyle? The 112 is a freestyle. It's a freestyle, okay. and then where you at is my song. It's a single that I'm pushing. Wait, so, you know, I'm going to just ask you. You don't got no ghostwriters, right? Or is this, no. is this bars from the soul? No, this is all me. This is all me. But, you know, I'll take a good yeah. hook if the hook is solid. But yeah, but that's normal. Yeah. That's, that's normal. Everybody's taking hooks. Or, you yeah. know, working on hooks with different people in the studio. Yeah. So, but that being said, um, like, like, do you ever, like, freestyle and actually, like, practice your lyricism? Um, Like, off the top of my head? Or you mean I just, yeah. just read? Yeah, just, like, I'm, off I'm the top. Really yeah, just, the meaning's changed. Yeah, I'm not, I ain't gonna lie, like, I haven't mastered that yet. Yeah. Um, I am working on it, but I'm not, I always write my best shit when I put, <laughs> I write my best stuff when yeah. I write. And when I'm in my zone and I have, like, my yeah. wine and I take my oh, edible. Hell yeah. It's just because I put more thought into it. I don't like, yeah. I don't like to rush things. Damn, girl. I'm gonna have to get you in the cypher one day. <laughs> you, get, you get a couple L's in me. I just start rapping like it's something I've done forever. I tell you, we'll do we'll yeah, do some free stuff. Gotta you gotta that. come lamping the hams with me, girl. I'm telling you, I, I, I the other day that oh he can hassle stuff, it's good. But one of these days we'll bring Lamar. Shouts to Lamar Rice and all of her uh, all of her team out here, and we can do something crazy. We still got like two yeah, weeks of summer left here. I'm with it. Let me know. We outside. There's a there's a glass house party coming up. Hopefully, Steph G will and hopefully you the listeners will. Tickets are available at the RyanShow.net. Steph G, salute. It's been such an honor. Everybody stay here. We got good music on the way. Don't go nowhere. We will be back. Bye, y'all. Like a G. We gon' murder the street with this one. All you bruises this week, we peep this different. I'm what the streets been missing. Stay on ish and be consistent. I'm with the gang-ish. I'm with the gang-ish I'm with the gang-ish I'm with the gang-ish If you talking about getting that chicken You speaking my language I'ma complete my mission Cause I ain't no lame shit I'm with the gang-ish I'm with the gang-ish I'm with the gang-ish I'm with the gang-ish Move, I know I'm dope, there's nothing to prove You dirty and broke, what's your fucking excuse? Look at this hoes and got nothing to lose This shit be thinking I need them to do Please, I could do it myself G. I be moving myself, smart-ish I could tutor myself, talk to it Dip just be tough on the net If you mean what you said, then you don't need an audience It be looking if you raised Begging us to be a part of it Dip the breeze, this is a disease We know where you stay, we could get you at ease You can do it for yourself, I'ma do it for me Gotta pay me a fee I just wanna stack on my cheese Get to the bag, grab a few things Get to the cash With you in the driver's seat, you in position to crash Man, that bitch don't measure up You claim you my homie, then how you gonna be my competitor? My foot on your neck, I ain't letting up I'm tired of these fake videos with this one, all you bruises this week, we peep this different I'm what the streets been missing, stay on ish and be consistent I'm with the gang-ish, I'm with the gang-ish I'm with the gang-ish, I'm with the gang-ish If you talking about getting that chicken, you speaking my language I'ma complete my mission, cause I ain't no lame shit I'm with the gang-ish, I'm with the gang-ish
the gang ish. I'm with the gang ish. I'm with the gang ish. Fully focused and I'm active. Look, we on that gang bitch. Put your fingers, get it cracking. Look, now you speaking my language. Swear to God, we ain't changing. All fight for the occasion. 2500 for the case, 55 for the fit. That's amazing. I do this for the gang. I do this for my brother. I do this for my guys. As you can tell me something, I already know. I already know it's lit. And you can tell me now about my city. You can spin and come get busy with us. But my young and women hit your figures. Jata, saucer. Pick up the fire and we lit. Jata. Offer, in front of my gang, yeah, yeah. What you think, we all highly important No, we ain't taking no losses I got shooters that ready to offer Dropping back on your head like an ocean Come on, come on, come on Nigga run up 38 parking Come on, come on Nigga run up 838 parking Come on, come on, come on Huh? Run up 838 parking Pump this bitch, bitch up a cocks And my little niggas is thinking arses You see on murder street with this one All you bruises is sweet, we peep this different I'm with the streets been missing Stay on my issue and be consistent I'm with the gang ish. I'm with the gang ish. I'm with the gang ish. Those of you that made it through the Steph G interview, thank you. 
it's time to enlighten the listeners of this show. And who better to do so than my pal, Joseph Hill, historian, documentarian. I think I'm saying that right. You know who he is. If you listen to this program, he comes here and he informs and educates and teaches us about all things. And it's not going to be any different this time. Put your hands together for Joseph Hill. Back on the right show. And welcome back, brother. Well, thanks for having me back. And uh, I'm embarrassed, but okay. Thank you, sir. Oh, stop it. Don't be embarrassed or flattered. You know how great you are. And I can't even believe you're still standing after that Hampton Cannabis Expo. There was a lot of stuff in the air, man. Not just radio yeah. waves. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff in the air and I was not feeling well, not, not because of cannabis or hashish, but I wasn't feeling well. But anyways, my first time there, my first time meeting you, um, as, as much as we've communicated uh, over the years now, and I call you my, uh, my nephew, we had never personally met. So it was cool to meet you. Just digital introductions and hangouts. But after COVID, it feels like we had really met. I've kind of changed my standards of meeting people after 2019. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But it was nice to see you in human form. (laughs) And wow, what what a time it was. And you were down there for a good reason, not just to enjoy the cannabis, but you're raising money for a documentary, which you're great at making, by the way. We already peeped the first one. So just to refresh the audience, you're putting together a documentary right now on uh, black soldiers in the Civil War. And the particulars of it, because we all know that we've seen, we've read and seen some movies, right? But you're really breaking it down, going to the South. And this is hands-on journalism that you're doing at its finest. And that requires time, effort, and a budget. So if you could, let's just uh, learn a little bit more about what it is that you're putting together to get things started. Well, thank you. Um, the documentary is called The Fight for Freedom, Black Union Soldiers in the Civil War. And the first thing I want to be clear about and for people to understand is there were roughly 200,000 African-American men who fought in the Union Army and Navy for their own freedom and the freedom of their loved ones. Um, One of the misconceptions in American history, and there are many uh, or lies about African-American history is is that black people didn't fight for their own freedom during the Civil War. Simply not true. They fought valiantly. Um, They actually risked more being uh, Union soldiers because the South, the Confederacy, made it clear that if they caught any black man in a Union uniform, uh, one of three things were going to happen and did. They either lynched them, murdered them right on the spot, or re-enslave them because many of these men were former enslaved people who all of a sudden became soldiers, and I'll talk about that briefly. But the third thing that they did uh, was to put them in uh, Confederate uh, war prisons. So, you know, they couldn't afford to surrender. They couldn't afford to lose. Quite often when they were surrendered, they were slaughtered. Part of the documentary will talk about you know, some of the places where these slaughters took place, particularly a place called Fort Pillow, uh, where the Mississippi River ran red with the blood of black men who were slaughtered after they surrendered. Um, Quite a few, like I said, were formerly enslaved. Um, Most came from the South. 
how they were formerly enslaved, Ryan, was, well, how they became soldiers was as the Union Army was um, moving south and predominantly like 90, 95 to 98% of the Civil War was fought in the south. Uh, one of the things that makes Gettysburg you know, one of the things that makes Gettysburg so famous was it was fought in Pennsylvania, a northern state. Real, extremely rare in the Civil War. But once again, as the Union soldiers moved south, you know, enslaved people weren't fools. They weren't blind. They saw these Union soldiers coming south and figured, what the hey, if I can run off this plantation and, and get into the uh, sanctuary of the Union, uh, then I'm not a slave anymore. And they did that in droves, in thousands. And quite a few of them were then converted, recruited uh, to be soldiers in the Union Army. At the end of the war, toward the end of the war, it, when you could tell the North was about to win the war, because, you know, they were losing the war in the early years. They were getting the pants beat off of. Now, now you say that they were losing the war, but they were on the aggression, right? Like we were going down South to take, they were going into the same fact, um, lost cause Confederate lovers don't call it the civil war. They call it the war of Northern aggression. Yeah. Yeah. They were going South. Right. But as they were going, as the, when the war started for several years, they were getting beat by, uh, Confederates could outfight them. And more importantly, the Confederates had the better generals. Um, the greatest general the U.S. had was a guy named Robert E. Lee, um, who resigned his commission with the Union Army and then headed, became the head of, of course, he was a Virginian and a slave owner, um, but he was a great general and um, his men would do anything for him. And there were others, other yeah. great uh, Confederate generals. And they won the war, you know, uh, like I said, early in the in the battle. But at the end of the war, when it was about to all be over, when it was obvious that the Union was going to win the war, Lincoln said, if it wasn't for the infusion of these black troops, we wouldn't have won this war. They needed that extra 200,000 manpower. Just to and give us an idea, how many soldiers were in the Union Army altogether, minus the black soldiers that joined? All together, you know, in all honesty, I'm not sure, but, yeah. you know, close to half a million men. I mean, the Union had more men. Wow. Okay? That's not, I mean, 200,000 is a lot when the you're comparing Union, it to the half small, million. The Union, Union was more populated. Yeah. So they had more people to lose. One of the things about uh, Grant, who finally became the total commander of the Union military was, and, you know, many people called him a butcher, was, Grant fought an aggressive war because he said, you know what? I got more men to lose than you do, Robert E. Lee. So let's fight. And that's what happened. Wow. So I just I, I had a, a message from the producer. Over the course of the war, 2,128,948 men enlisted in the Union Army, including the 178,895,000 colored troops that you talk about. Right. So that's a large chunk of troops, right. there, especially when you're considering these guys are, are literally fighting for their freedom. And once again, the figure that keeps quoted is 180 to 179,000. That was the army. There was another 20,000 in the Navy. 
Wow. People just totally ignore. There were quite a few naval battles and, and quite a few battles on, on the rivers. I mean, yeah. rivers, especially the Mississippi, was crucial during the Civil War. Well, a lot yeah. of fighting and then a lot of Union gunboats. When there was fighting going on on land, they supported with cannon fire. So uh, let's let's not count out the Navy. No, that's definitely not. And, you know, it's funny because in school you hear some stories about the black Union soldiers, but hasn't really been documented in the type of way that it should have been. The particulars, like you just said, 20,000 extra in the Navy. That's the first thing that comes up. It says 178,000. Barring right. out that other 20,000 the right army. there right. in the army. So yeah. this is the perfect time for you to put this documentary together. Have you found any kickback visiting some places in the South trying to uncover the truth of what really went down? Or were people more receptive to it in 2022, 2023? Um, I don't know if kickback's the right word. What I've found is, we, we in fact, we're going to do it again. We covered uh, the reenactment of uh, the Battle of Olusty. And that took place in Lake City, Florida, um, a little bit west of Jacksonville. And it was a Confederate victory, which is one reason why my friend Benny McRae points out why it's such a big reenactment, because Confederates love to show up in uniform and tout the victories they had. They don't want to do that when, uh, when the battles were won by the Union. Anyway, I talked to quite a few um, Confederate reenactors and actually going to that battle site was almost like being at a Klan rally. Wow. Uh, everybody was rooting for the South. I interviewed a couple of people because I want, you know, I'm a journalist yeah. by career and trade, you know, 30-some years, mostly television journalism. And one of the things I always found was is that you don't have to editorialize or say that somebody is telling a mistruth or is foolish or is not a good person. All you have to do is put a microphone in front of them and let them talk. <laughs> I don't say true. a word. I let them do it. So anyway, I interviewed um, one particular gentleman from Florida who was a reenactor, Confederate reenactor, and he had that whole lost cause BS, uh, Union War of Aggression, all of that. Yeah, You know, Lincoln was a terrible person. They treated the slaves well. All of this BS, right? Wow, oh, so they had the audacity to say that to you while you were down there. <laughs> to my face. It's I got insane. it on camera, you know. And, um, yeah, they weren't the bad guys, according to him, okay? Wild. Well, that, that it wasn't a blowback, but it was a definitely, I got a different version. And I didn't really get into debates about yeah why I'm doing the documentary, except I'm doing the documentary about black soldiers in the Union military. Also, some people with this lost cause garbage, and the lost cause, the fervor for it started anywhere from 20 to 30 years after the Civil War. And it was perpetuated, mm. ironically, mostly by Southern women. Um, but that's when the statues went up. That's when this whole, you know, gallant, noble South fighting for the freedom of their way of life, you know, their American way of life, all of that garbage, yeah. that's when it all perpetuated. So it, it didn't start right after the war. 
There was Not some. Really. I mean, this started with the daughters and granddaughters of the Civil War. For here's a good example. Yeah. I don't know how much your audience knows about a film that I have a love, a tremendous love hate relationship with called Birth of a Nation. Yes, yes, we've all heard of Birth of a Nation. Okay. Well, D.W. Griffith, who made the film, directed, produced it, wrote it, is the son, was the son of a of a Confederate soldier. Mm. So you get this thing of that next generation of Southerners glorifying everything about the Civil War and everything about um, the antebellum South. Yeah. Including slavery. It was a good thing. Which and that's 1915 is when that came out. And as yeah. we all know, there was still quite a bit of oppression against African-Americans in this country, a tremendous amount in 1915. And yeah. essentially that glorified the Klan, right? The birth of a nation was, if I remember correctly, it's about yeah. the start the of the KKK. The they mm. came in at the end and saved the white woman from being accosted, basically raped by a black man who was a white man in blackface. Um, but the Klan rode in, you know, really? in white sheets to save uh, to save the day. So why now, do you, you have a love hate this? relationship? Out of care, sorry. Why do you have okay. a love hate relationship, not just a hate relationship with this movie? No, here's the love hate. As a college student, I first, I, in fact, I saw Birth of a Nation maybe five times. The first time I saw it, I was in a full class of people, and I was the only African American in there. And wow. in all honesty, I got up and walked out because I wow. couldn't. Yeah, it was embarrassing. It was insulting. But I had a great relationship with my professor, and uh, he actually let me come in and see it by myself. Wow. If you look at it, because uh, I'm also a filmmaker, and you know, all of my life through my mother, I've loved film. I've yeah. gone to my, my kids and grandkids go to movies. We're movie people. But I don't go to garbage movies i go to good movies but that's another story i know we'll get into that later because i got some questions yeah. about movies but yeah. i enjoy the way films are made good directing yeah. okay wd griffith birth of a nation was man it was like a trendsetter it was a work of genius yeah if you look at it if you take all the racism and the content out if you look at camera positions um, the use of widescreen. Nobody had like charging soldiers in widescreen action on camera ever un in America until W.D. Griffith. Wow. So cinematically, it was a masterpiece. Cinematically, it was a work of genius. Wow. Um, and he made a, a couple of other films. Intolerance is another one. But he made films. He made beautiful films if you just look at it from the art of filmmaking. Yeah. Once again, if you look at it in the content, and by the way, you know where the one of the places the film was premiered? Where's that? In Woodrow Wilson's White House. That's why. That's, that's what a racist President Woodrow Wilson was. We've heard that. Yeah, we've heard Wilson was a horrible man. Woodrow Wilson. He was both brilliant and horrible. I mean, he was a brilliant yeah. man. He had been president of Princeton University. He was a, a professor. But Wilson, once again, was born in Virginia, and his family had fought in the Civil War. So even though, you know, he represented New Jersey um, in Congress and, and eventually governorship and became president, he really was a Virginian at heart. Wow. 
And it really is something that these guys, I'm sure, heard as kids. And it's just drilled in your brain at that point. Well, of course. We lost, but we didn't lose. Wow. So I didn't realize it went that deep. I didn't realize that Birth of a Nation was such a cinematic masterpiece. I always just yeah. thought it was one of these horrible racist movies. No. it it You know, in, in watching those movies back in the day in college, um, th there was W.D. Griffith and there was a guy named Sergei Eisenstein who um, Russian who was just absolute genius. He made Battleship. He made Potemkin about a revolution, about a rebellion, the battleship Potemkin. Wow. Yeah. So before we go any further, we do have to take a very quick break. We're going to keep keep talking about this documentary you've got coming together. We need to keep learning about the Civil War and what really went down because a lot of this history has been forgotten, whitewashed. If you're from the South, you don't even know the right name of the Civil War. Let's be honest. You're calling it the wrong thing. We've got Joseph Hill in studio and we are just getting into things, so nobody go anywhere at this point. Look up Official Black Truth on Instagram. That's the IG page, Joseph, that we've been building for you. It's still out there, and people are still following it by the day. So go follow them. Follow us at The Ryan Show. Nobody go anywhere. We will return.
Hello, folks. If you're anything like me, you're probably not very cultured, and when it comes to hanging up art on the wall, you don't know where to begin. Well, look no further. MasachiArt.com has exactly what you're looking for. Jimmy Masachi is one of the few humans on Earth that can capture that urban hip-hop energy and turn it into a painting. Take it from me, I have it hanging on the walls in the Hamptons, scaring the hell out of people. Don't believe me? Go to MasachiArt.com, and right now, enter in a chance to win some free Masachi Art hoodies by going to the Ryan Show Instagram story and at MasachiArt on Instagram for more details. Now let's get back to our regular schedule program. Programming. And we are back. Music by the great DJ Honky Wonky. And this is Ryan Vernell on the mic with Joseph Hill, historian, and my dear pal. And we're just learning. We're just peeling back the layers of lies that we've been taught. This is the truth, damn it. Or at least the factual truth. Because we really, I don't know if you noticed, one thing about Mr. Hill, this is why we keep bringing him back so much, is that he doesn't really necessarily give his politicized bias or opinion he just is straight shooting facts at us giving us numbers telling us how it is he's firsthand going down south and learning not just googling things the man's literally a journalist which is something that most people call themselves but are not so anyway joseph it's good to have you back and we just started talking a little bit about the birth of a nation and just the culture of racism and how deeply embedded it is in the south and what it was like having to put this documentary together about black soldiers in the civil war i asked you if there was any kickback and he said kickback wasn't the right word. But overall, uh, with putting this documentary together, do you have almost a restored faith that the truth could come out? Or do you think that there's just so many layers of lies over it that it's going to be impossible to rewrite the history the way it was actually portrayed, the way it actually happened? Oh, I, I think that, you know, because of the nature of this country, and I'm not a... I mean, I, I certainly love America and like it, um, but I'm not one of these. Um, I'm not a big flag waver. I'm not saying, you know, love it or leave it type stuff. But the one of the beauties of this country is our education system is as, as bad as it is. It's still probably the best free education system in the world. Really? And, it's not what I've heard. Just sorry to interrupt you, but they, they rank us like bottom of the stratosphere. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about performance. Yeah. I'm saying I'm talking about as an individual, yeah. if you want to learn, if you want to teach yourself, you can do it in this country. There's nothing stopping you That's but true. you. There are libraries. Man, there's so much stuff in libraries that people don't understand. How many people have ever had a conversation with their librarian? It's true. You talk to your doctor, you talk to your minister, you talk to your buddy. Have you ever had a conversation with your librarian? They have a wealth of information. There are books in the library that you can't even fathom are there, or they can order it for you. Wow. And that's just one thing. The internet is wide open. What I'm saying is, unlike living in a totalitarian nation, like a China or a Russia, if you want to get the information, as much as people say you can't, which is garbage, you can find it. Yeah. So that's one way to combat lies and to find the truth. Find it yourself. Educate yourself. Don't depend on other people. You know, what, what I hear a lot or used to hear a lot from um, especially African-Americans when I was growing up was they don't teach us that. No, I mean, a lot of the things that I do are, are kind of new to history. They may not have been taught in classes, but people go, well, 
they didn't teach us that. Why didn't it? Well, hey, man, I live in the same country you did. I was a kid like you. And somehow, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but somehow I found information. And there are so many people a lot smarter than myself on college campuses, teaching, writing, doing all sorts of things. They have the information. There are amazing books out there. You know, one of the things that I regret about um, one of these days checking out of this earth is all the books I'll never get a chance to read. There are too many books for me to read in my lifetime. Plus, I'm a slow reader, and I don't read as often as I used to when I was younger because there's so many distractions. I love sports. You know, I love movies. I love music. So, I mean, there are things that take you away from reading. But back to what I was originally saying without rambling too much is the beauty of living in this country is you can find and get the information. You can educate yourself. And as long as there are people willing to explore information and then tell it either in a book or a film or a story or a radio show, um, then people can learn and then we can have the truth come out. The truth won't die. It's there, man. Yeah. I mean, it's really depending on where you look. Cause I remember seeing pictures of textbooks that kids in the South were reading with just misinformation. Oh yeah. Actual yeah. lies. And well, it's, it's still going on again. It's actually going on more now than, than in the past. So how do we filter that? How do we tell what's real when we have so much information how do we tell what's factual information and what's not opinion-based, slanderous misrepresentation of what actually happened? Well, first of all, there, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've got one grandson who doesn't believe anything the media puts out. As a person who's been a journalist all of my life, I don't think people understand. When you're a reporter or journalist, and especially what I did, when you turn one or two or several stories a day, you don't have time to make stuff up, man. It's like, it's hard enough telling the truth. It's much harder trying to figure out a a damn lie. There's lies out there, Joseph. Like, for instance, not to interrupt you and to go too far off tangent, but the whole Jeffrey Epstein situation... That's just a lie staring us in the face that it seems the whole media knows about. This guy did not kill himself. It's, gonna, mention, it's, it's all going to come out. So you, you believe that some of these huge conspiracies are going to come out? Yes. Because when? People, when people and how? Human nature, people yeah. talk. You get X number of people that know something, and then they tell somebody else, it'll come out. How about the video clips that surface of major news outlets, local news outlets controlled by a major platform like NBC, Fox, CNN. It doesn't matter the bias. These clips surfaced on Instagram. They went viral spreading lies of misinformation about COVID. When it first came out, it was almost like there was one agenda behind it. You don't think that there's some type of media industrial complex or some type of collection or collective of people working in the background to control a message that's put out to America? No. I mean, you were in it hands-on. You were getting the memo, if anything. You'd be, you'd be one of these guys. No. I mean, the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, too. No. Exactly. Okay. So where do, you, where do you draw the line? How come something like the Epstein situation can still go three years, or however long it's been without the truth coming out, 
Be, well, one of the reasons, and, you know, God bless his soul, how many people care about Jeffrey Epstein? Really? Apparently a lot of very powerful people. No, I'm saying lay people who aren't yeah. involved with Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein. Like Nobody's care about him as a human being or care about the situation? Because it's one of the biggest conspiracies ever. Nobody's getting up in the morning going, yeah. I wonder when they're coming out with the truth about Jeffrey Epstein. I might be the only one left. I'm still thinking Maybe about it. <laughs> I'm just Island boys, what I'm man. Is, first of all, for most people, they're not interested in it. They could kind of care less. Somebody's gonna come out with it because you you have you have organizations and producers and writers who do just that. They come out yeah. with that's that's their jam. They come out yeah. with stuff that you know the truth or what you thought you knew, they'll come out with it. It'll eventually come out. You know, it, like I said, the truth cannot be. Can't be hidden forever. You know, one guy that I never, I always listened to him as a kid on, what the hell was the show? I think it was Coast to Coast. Or no, maybe that's the hip hop platform. Uh, what the hell was it? it was, it's that late night show, but Alex Jones. And I always listened for pure entertainment. Never really took anything too serious. Uh, I took it with a, a shaker of salt, not just a grain of salt. But now a lot of this stuff's coming true. Like that whole Epstein pedophile island, he predicted that 15 years ago. And there were a few other things that, that popped up that some of these conspiracy theorists are bringing to light. I mean, what are your thoughts about some of these guys that were once deemed absolute cuckoos having some sentiments of truth? Well, I mean, people believe what they want to believe, first of all. And people can put two things together and go, see, that guy was telling the truth. That's a <laughs> yeah, fact. Absolutely. Well, look. Yes, there are networks of pedophiles. There, you know, I mean, everything that's said in a way is the truth. Yeah, but not the truth about that particular subject. I mean, you could say there are a lot of people getting murdered in America. They're they're killing us all the time. That's true. Yeah, but to say it's a conspiracy by a certain group is a whole other thing. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can say a lot of BS and a lot of conspiracy theories and a lot of lies and a grain of it can be true. Because, you know, two things can be the same at one time, as we both know, as we Absolutely. get old. That is the truth. All right. So very, very well said. Very well said. All right. Um, I saw a video. We're going to take it in a whole other direction. We're going to speed up about 100 years. By the time that this is airing, it's going to be the one, I, I want to say the, uh, I don't know how many years it's been, but the anniversary of Martin Luther King's, I have a, Martin Luther King Jr.'s, I have a dream speech. And one thing that I've noticed really over the past couple of years are clips that have been sent to me from my dear friend. She's always sending me uh, videos to kind of like re-educate me in ways, because she's finding all these crazy algorithms like of truth clips that come out. And one of which was Martin Luther King. And it sounded like he was kind of fed up with the government and fed up with America in general toward those later years. And it was a, a speech that he gave, and I'm not exactly sure when it was, but he was essentially demanding reparations, saying how come all of these other, uh, essentially uh, Native Americans are able to get this and get that, yet African Americans got absolutely nothing to make up for the slavery. Where's the 40 acres and the mule? Uh, and it just, it was a different Martin Luther King that I'm used to seeing as a kid with the I Have a Dream speech. So you as an actual historian on this subject and you've done your research, what are your thoughts about Martin Luther King Jr.'s final days and what were his views towards the end? 
Well, let me start with this. The Martin Luther King, my opinion, the Martin Luther King holiday should be called America's Hypocrite Day. Because the way Martin Luther King is portrayed now, you know, especially for school children, I've got, um, you know, grandkids who my one, my granddaughter's still in elementary school. Um, the way he's portrayed to children and to the country in general is uh, he's almost like Santa Claus of black men, yeah. you know, kumbaya, wonderful, peaceful, uh, you know, all of that's true once again, but there's so much depth to Martin Luther King and he evolved like all of us human beings do. Uh, you're not the same person, Ryan, that you were five years ago. We all evolved, hopefully yeah. for the best, but we all evolved. So King evolved and King evolved from the not, you know, the, the, the King who's first started out because he had to be that way. He couldn't scare yeah. America. He was in the deep South. He was unknown. It was a lot of danger, all sorts of factors of why he had the persona he had. Not saying it wasn't true, but there were motivations for him to portray himself that way. Makes sense. As he became older, and let's remember this, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, he was 39 years old. I'll repeat that. The man never lived to see 40. He was That's still a, a young, young man. man. That's right. a very young man. He's still a young man. So here's the deal, though. This book, <laughs> where did I put it? <laughs> this, this is live radio. I found it. I don't know how well you can see it. This Death book, of the King. Death of a King by Tavis Smiley. I'm trying to do this. There we go. For those that are listening on the radio, Death yeah, of the yeah. King, Tavis Smiley is with a book right. that he's holding up. Okay. Not that long of a book, a hundred and some pages. Uh, it's a quick read. It profiles the last 365 days of Martin Luther King's life. Now, the man that eventually... 50 years later, holidays named after. His last year of his life was hell on earth. Um, he was treated like a pariah. Folks look the word up, pariah. He was treated like a pariah. That's like canceled, right? Essentially, that's the... He was checked. He was canceled. Modern out. version of canceled. Black and white people. Not just yeah. white people, yeah. black folks. Here's what led to it. And, and to me, is this irony or is this, um, this is maybe conspiracy theory stuff. <laughs> so what happened April 4th, 1967 at Riverside Church in New York City? He was invited to speak on a forum about Vietnam. When King got up to speak, like I said, remember the date, April 4th, yeah. 1967. When he started speaking about Vietnam, it was the most blistering criticism of our involvement in the Viet Vietnam War that anybody had publicly ever made. Nobody as famous as King had stood up and said, what are we doing there? What are we doing there? how awful we're doing 
what we're doing to the Vietnamese and for what, and we need to stop. Yeah. I'm going to just read real quick a couple of little excerpts from, from when he gave that speech. Please do. Um, and it seems that he wasn't the only very popular public figure no, that spoke out first. against it. Listen that, to this. Yeah. When he spoke out, he talked about one of the things he said was, and he said in the book, he says, he points to, and in the quote, the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together at the same schools. Then he goes on to say, he talks about, he questions as a person of nonviolence, um, you know, he questions the unchecked violence America had in Vietnam. Remember, we're talking about napalm bombing and massive bombing. I mean, this is a small country. We bombed that. More bombs dropped on Vietnam than on Europe during World War II. Insane. All right. But listen to this. Quote, their, que their questions hit home, he says. And I know that I have never again, can never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without first speaking clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, my own government, the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. Wow. So when King said that, and, and listen to this, whose war was this for younger people who don't, don't remember or don't know? This was President Lyndon Baines Johnson's war. Yeah. Okay. They say they killed JFK because they didn't want to be a part of it. This was Johnson's war. He had been Kennedy's vice president. He took over with Kennedy's assassination. Yeah. And he's the one that increased our involvement mightily in Vietnam. But here's the other thing about Lyndon Blaine Johnson. He had been the strongest supporter of Dr. Martin Luther King. He was the one that helped push through voting rights, and the Civil Rights Acts. I mean, he was a champion, and a lot of people forget that or don't know. Lyndon Baines Johnson was probably the most powerful president in American history when it came to pushing through legislation that helped black people. Now, why was that? Was that for the right motivations? No, it was for the right motivations. Right. Okay. I mean, he, he was a, a southerner from Texas, who had converted. Once again, we talk about people's lives changing and progressing. He yeah. had changed. Okay. But once again, LBJ, as he was called, Lyndon Baines Johnson and Dr. King were close. They were friends. Yeah. That was LBJ's boy. So for all of a sudden King to go public and criticize the war, he's also criticizing Johnson. Now, here's what turned King against the war in Johnson. Before the war was increased by the U.S. government, Johnson had talked to King about his plan for the great society. He was going to infuse all this money into the ghetto, schools, yeah. jobs. He had promised King all this, and King was like, that's what I want to hear, because King had gone beyond the sitting equally on a bus to 
economic equality for black people. Yeah. He, you know, that, that's that's the progress. He has said, wait a minute, we need jobs. We need education. And LBJ said, sure, I'm going to give you that. Well, guess what? The predominance of the money set aside for the great society programs went to Vietnam. Wow. So that was a burn. And just uh, to, uh, to, to me, I mean, I'm sure that in LBJ's mind, it was probably to secure even more money through some horrible war, through some in, uh, military industrial complex. You'd think, right? You'd think that maybe. Wars if, are expensive. Wars are expensive. And the money didn't go into the ghetto. It went into making weapons to kill people. Crazy. And then percentage wise, there was a huge percentage of young, poor black men and poor white kids. Because if you were in college, you could get a deferment. If yeah. you had any kind of ailment like certain people, you, you didn't get drafted. Okay. So it was poor people and people of color who were dying in Vietnam. And that was another one of the things that Dr. King pointed out. Wow. And he was ostracized. I mean, I'm talking about his organization started losing money. Um, you know, people like Adam Clayton Powell and others publicly criticized him. I remember sitting in my living room because my dad would make me watch the news if I was around. If I wasn't moving yeah. fast, he'd say, sit down, you'll learn something. <laughs> and I did. Anyway, I remember my father being real pissed off. And he said, like everybody in America was saying, black and white, what the hell's he doing? He's a civil rights leader. He's not a politician. Why is he doing that? My dad said that. So that's what was upsetting black America People about Martin stuck. Luther King? That yeah, they, they were why, still pro-America enough to be pro-Vietnam. Right. Why are wow. you making enemies? Why? How about just shut up and keep on going? The king didn't do that. But here's another thing. And for all the people that want to be conspiracy theory theorists, remember I mentioned the date, April 4th, 1967. Yeah. Okay, folks. April 4th, 1968, Dr. King's head was blown off in Memphis. And he was in Memphis. What was he doing? He was fighting for garbage workers. Wow. Because their jobs were dangerous. They were getting worked to death. They weren't being paid enough. And what started them to strike, by the way, was a garbage man got caught up in the machine and was, and was killed. Wow. And they, they went on strike and they asked Dr. King for help. And he went to Memphis. And that's where he was killed. But the exact to the day. 365 days. So April 4th, 1967, he gave that speech at the Riverside Church. April 4th, 1968, he was a dead man. Unbelievable. Let that sink in your heads, folks. We're going to go to a very quick break. It's almost the one year of the I Have a Dream speech. Everybody go check it out. And while you're at it, official black truth, official black truth on Instagram to follow historian Joseph Hill. We're going to come back, talk some baseball. I've got one more political question about the Democrat party, but you're going to have to hold on to find out exactly what that question is. Nobody go anywhere. This is the Rancho FM and we will return.
are back re-educating the masses here on the Ryan Show FM, giving you guys a different perspective on what really went down in this country. We're learning one day at a time. It's all thanks to our pal Joseph Hill, who's joining us from the very, very far north of Minneapolis. I used to saying that word, Minneapolis. And Joseph, Thank man, you. I'm always learning. Wait, where are you exactly? I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, St. Paul. See, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm miseducating the masses, That's just okay. like my ancestors that came before I'm me. I'm in the Twin Cities. Minneapolis is next door. There we go. So one of the Twin Cities, the Twin City, according to Mr. Hill, St. Paul. And uh, we just learned about the latter days of Martin Luther King Jr. and what made him lose both the white and black communities. And we're talking about Lyndon B. Johnson, and I, I left a little cliffhanger there for those that have tuned in. My final political question before we get into some baseball, which I know the people really want to hear, and that is, when did the Democrat Party become less racist, righteous, if you will? Because when studying history, you see that these were some of the real bad guys putting in laws, uh, slave owners, uh, all this other crazy stuff. So when did that tide turn and when did they become more of the liberals that they are today? The election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. 1932. I believe it was really? 32. Yeah. Was it one man that sparked that change, or was it some type of a political, cultural revolution in the party itself? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Really? I know it's an off-topic here, but I need to know more. What, what the hell went well, down? My opinion is, is one of the two greatest presidents we've ever had. I've heard that many times. And it is also the only president that I know of that had more than two terms in office. Yeah, he had he had a third. And that was because he was president during the great, or I guess the recovery period, right? And he helped well, when, pull the country he, out of... When he became president, we were in the Great Depression. And he essentially saved the country from the Great Depression and then guided us he through World War II. World War II. Yeah. So what exactly was it inside of his brain that uh that uh you know helped him vault the democrats into the position that they are now so franklin delano roosevelt was born into a very wealthy family you know in in, in upstate new york um powerful political family because you know his um his cousin was Theodore Roosevelt, his older cousin, the other president. Uh, oh, so that was older cousin. So they were actually related. I didn't realize that because, yeah, the, you know, he's another one of these epic presidents, but very different, right? Very different. Like Anyway, Teddy was epic and um, Franklin patterned his political career in many ways after um, Teddy. Um, where were we? But anyway, okay. So he was, when he started out, this is a handsome, wealthy, arrogant, rich white man who had everything. And he takes a swim in the wrong pool at the wrong place and contracts polio and can never walk again the rest of his life. And what, and I'm going to use the word crippling, the people hate that word now. What that crippling did to Franklin Delano Roosevelt was it humbled him. 
It made him empathetic to other people, including poor people. That in a and nutshell. How old was he when, when that happened, when he was afflicted with polio? I'm not sure, but I want to say he was probably in his 30s. Wow. He's a young man. But he had everything going, and then this happened. And instead of giving up, because 99.9% of human beings in this world, if that happened to them, they would just give up. He had money. He didn't need to do anything. Yeah. He stayed in politics, became a master politician, by the way, and a brilliant administrator. So it was essentially this horrible ailment that changed his state of mind. But, I mean, culturally speaking... And his wife and Eleanor. I mean, how does it turn an entire party around, though? Because how does Donald Trump turn an entire party around? It's a good point. I guess when someone has enough influence, they really can. When you're the king, everybody follows the king. Wow. And he was essentially that influential, not like Trump in many ways, but that powerful, where he could actually sway an entire political party to feel a different way or to act a different way. Well, and like I said, Eleanor was, she was his ace also. Eleanor Roosevelt was just an absolutely amazing woman. And she influenced him a lot also. So there's your answer. I know a lot of people always, especially now, not everybody knows the amount of history that you do, Joseph. So people are just wondering, oh, how did the Democrats become good all of a sudden? Well, there you have it. The Republicans used to be the liberals, the party of Lincoln. And blacks always associated Republicans with Lincoln and Lincoln. They called him Abraham for a reason, my man. They they looked at him just like they looked at Abraham of the Bible, many blacks of that day. He was their savior. So for decades, black people, if they could vote, they voted Republican. So I got to ask you this. When did Republicans become so conservative? If they were this party that supported black rights and civil rights, when is it that they made this change to being the... I don't want to bash any Republicans out there, but, you know, they're not really known to be the most open-minded a lot of times. Well, when they started losing poor people and people of color. Because remember, one thing, and hopefully people won't take offense, but it's the truth, Republicans have always been for the wealthy. They've always been for big business. Yeah. So there, there you have it. Got it. Well, thanks for clearing that up. The more you know. And before we go any further, Joseph, I know that we have so much that we didn't even get into. We didn't even get to get into Donald Trump's arrest. That was supposed to be a big part of the agenda today to kind of figure out what the hell is going on. So just oh, before we get into sports, we should touch on. There's plenty of time for us to talk about the former president's legal issues. Yeah, you know what? If you, I, 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 no, exactly. There's plenty. So just to kind of put it into a nutshell. This is historic in itself. There's never been a president that's or a former president that's been accused, yet alone, or I say uh, arrested, yet alone accused of some of these accusations. What do you think that this does for the country in general? Do you think this is good for the United States to be able to hold somebody accountable? Or do you think that this is such a gray area that 
they're kind of just making an example of somebody when this type of stuff happens. I mean, obviously not like what we ever saw a couple of years ago. Uh, but overall, what are your thoughts? Is this a good or a bad thing for the United States of America to have this trial happening now? Well, remember, he's been indicted in four different jurisdictions. So it's not just one trial. Uh, it, there's a possibility of four trials. Wow. Um, what this does for now, uh, it's an awful thing for the country for this reason. There's so many millions of people who follow Donald Trump. So right now, this is a thing that both hurts the country and also helps the country mm. because it also will prove that uh, no person is above the law. Um, but it's one of those, you know, history is a, um, how do I put it? History is a fluid thing. Yeah. <laughs> history is like a living, history is like a fire, man. It's, it's like a living organism. So this is history right now. And we don't know which way it's, it's the greatest soap opera the world knows. It's called Ever. history. I mean, from all of your studies, this might be the most important. All, all of it is Ever. a big soap opera. And if it were taught properly, more young people would be interested in it. Unfortunately, it's taught about dead old white men and dates. And not that that's not important, yeah. but there's way more important things about history. And that's the motivation. What made people mm. seek to pass laws? What made people run for office? Why are our streets named what they're named? Why, why do our counties have these names? Yeah. Nobody seems to, I mean, only people who kind of know history know what the heck's going on. But if you start looking at where you live and what's your county name and what's the next county name and what's the street name, it's all about history. Wow. Such a good point. Such a good point. We're watching it just play out in front of us. Would you say that this is the most exciting and groundbreaking time to be alive between what's going on politically and United States of America, I guess, politicians now coming out and saying that there are extraterrestrial beings here? I don't know if you've really looked into that. I'm not sure if you think it's a conspiracy, but we've literally had court cases and admissions by I guess, uh, you know, or whistleblowers in the military saying that they've recovered extraterrestrial bodies. Where do you place where we are right now in the overall scheme of, of world history in terms of being, you know, revolutionizing what's happening around us? So there's an old supposed curse. And I don't know if it's, you know, some people say it's an Arab curse. Others say it's Chinese. Uh, it may not be either, but it says, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> we live in interesting times. But you know what? All of history is an interesting time. No matter where you lived, no matter what part of the world, it's always interesting because it's fluid, man. Very good point. I would argue that some points were more boring than others. I don't no, know if it's that I'm really biased with I'm a modern bias. Dude, if you were in those times, they wouldn't be boring. That's true, because you're not thinking about history. You're thinking about survival. Throughout yeah. history, most of the time, you're thinking about where the next meal's coming from. How are you not yeah. going to get killed by something oh, around oh, you? Yeah. Right, or, or yeah, or the next tribe coming coming over the hill to kill you. Yeah, it's and there, there's it's not too many good. times. Like I guess there's been the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. There's been empires and and very wealthy, rich people that yeah, have but, time to actually study. But no, but it's never been say. I mean, there's never a time that's been like 
totally settled and safe. If I could go back in history, one of the one of the things that fascinates me is uh, Spain under the under the Moors. Spain for four hundred years when the Muslims ran Spain. That was an interesting place to be. A lot of things were discovered. A lot of learning. A lot of all of the great libraries were in basically in Spain. Wow, I've heard that. A lot of great architecture. So all much history was made during that yeah. four hundred year yeah. span. Well, yeah. we'll we'll get into all that. We're gonna go one more time. This is the very last break. We're gonna come back, wrap up the show, and talk some baseball. We're gonna talk a little bit of Chicago Cubs. If we can, I know we, I know Joseph's got to go. We're gonna do a quick outro. Oh, and we just, don't need to talk about. We need to talk about other teams other than the Cubs, man. We need to talk about, you know, the Yankees. And don't the get Braves. me started on them, dude. I've tapped out. I've ta- hey, at this point, I want every single about, game to be lost. We gotta talk about the Yankees. All right, nobody go anywhere. We're talking baseball here on the Ryan Show. FM. Historian Joseph Hill is here with us, and you should be with us when we get back. TheRyanShow.net. We'll be back soon, folks. Don't go anywhere. See you.
Good things must come to an end, yes, even this broadcast. But history is being made, not just when it comes to politics, but when it comes to baseball. My New York Yankees are at a low, a very, very bad low. Not since 1984 have we been on a nine-game losing streak. Never in my life do I remember the Yankees being so bad. I've never, I always thought we were the Bronx Bombers. The one thing we've ever, always been able to do is hit a home run over that right field wall. Nobody can even hit the baseball. It's the worst general management that's ever been seen when it comes to building the team. And yes, we have to blame Brian Cashman and the way that the team's been put together. But Joe, you're not just a historian when it comes to actual factual facts, but also when it comes to baseball. You've been watching baseball for many, many years. So if you could, from your unbiased perspective, after all, you are a Cubs fan. Am I crazy here? Should I be complaining less? What are your thoughts on this new Yankees team? Is this a collapse of the New York Yankees culture? Uh, I don't know if it's a collapse of the culture, but it's a collapse of the organization. It it shows how weak the organization is and how poorly it's been um, managed, for lack of a better word. And if George Steinbrenner were alive now, Cashman would have been fired a long time ago. Oh, yeah. What so, I mean, here's the sorry, deal. Keep going. Real quick. I'm going to simplify it. And it's not my original thought. Somebody else brought it up and I stole it. If you look at baseball, we're in a new era in baseball. They're speeding up games. Everything's quicker. So what's happening is if you look at the teams that, especially these young teams that are winning, teams like the Braves or teams like even the Mariners are all of a sudden coming on, they're young and athletic. Yes. They can steal bases. They can run. They can play defense. Does that describe the Yankees? About one of them? Anthony Volpe, maybe, sometimes? sometimes. Well, and then one home run hitter. Yeah, absolutely. But but they don't have the firepower that other teams have. They don't have the athletes. And they don't have the youth. I don't know what – you know, Julio Rodriguez, come on, man. He's really getting it together the second half of the season. Come on. The man's incredible. they don't, they don't have anybody close to that or a Fernando Tatis or any of those, you know, and, and don't even talk about uh, uh, the young man in, in uh, Atlanta who, boy, I hate to say it, is cl- the closest thing to Willie Mays I've seen, and that's Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, why the Mil- Willie Mays comparisons? 
Because I've heard all types of comparisons. I mean, he's a lot faster, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? He's out there stealing a lot uh, more bases. Mays was, no, when Mays was young, he stole a lot of bases. Mm. Mays was fast. Mays was real fast. Yeah. And he was a power hitter. So what has Ronald Acuna done? He's got uh, close to, what, 40 home runs um, and 50, 50 stolen bases at half at uh, the, the ha- half part of the season. I mean, which is incredible. Come on, man. Yeah. My my point is this though, is that the Yankees don't have the athletes. They don't have the young guns. Um, they're an old team built for an old way of baseball, and all of a sudden it caught up to them, in in the blink of an eye, in a year. Yeah. You know, I can say this because I'm an older guy. When you get old, whether you're a person or an organization. It sneaks up on you, man. You know, like you think, oh, I'm the same dude I was five years ago until you pull a muscle or whatever the hell. It's the same thing with the organization. The same thing with a company like Kodak. I'm king of this. I'm king of that until you aren't anymore. And by the time you realize you should have changed, it's too late. Very good point. And we see it. it's a perfect example of what you're talking about is John Carlos Stanton, who if it was the steroid era, he would be, you know, it, it wouldn't matter as much. I guess his average is so abhorrent. I should even use it. He's been so horrible, but the man can't even run. And it's like and the whole Yankees hurt. team. Like you're talking he's about. Nobody's, nobody's he's the only other, the best fielder they have is Aaron judge. And he hurt his foot, you know, going for a ball. Cause Aaron Judge is he's quite the athlete. He's their best athlete. Oh yeah. Judge is incredible, man. Truly. You know, you know, we talk about these this mix of like power and speed, Acuna, Mookie Betts, even Otani. Judge, like you said, Judge is fast when he needs to be, when he's getting around those bases. Like I said, Julio Rodriguez, man. You realize how big that kid is? He's 6'3 and 230. I did not realize he was 230. 230. Well, officially 228. So, but he's 6'3, dude. Yeah. It's not an ounce bad. of fat on him, and the boy can run. I mean, it's come down to who has the best athletes. And right now the Yankees are way behind everybody else when it comes to the best athletes. Well, we on finally brought the, up the prospects this week. This on, is the first time the they've got injured pitchers. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's a mess. Yeah. Well, we've tapped out on this. I will say that it's about time that we're not having these delusions of semi grandeur and just pretending that we might squeak into the wild card. And now we've pulled up the young cats Peraza's back. Peraza's somebody that they should have had up here the whole time. Just mismanagement. Like you said, the game is changing. And a good general manager would know that. And you you make such great points that it's just a younger, faster league. And with the pitch clock changing and some of these new rules, it's not going to get any slower of a game. So I don't know how it's, closely you're studying the future of the Yankees and what we have going yeah. on in this horrible farm system, but what's the solution, Joe? What can well, the Yankees do? Here's what's interesting, because you know now I'm showing my age. When I grew up in Chicago, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was watching one of the golden eras of baseball, because especially in the National League, what you had was, this is in the 60s, um, coming out of the 50s, going into the 60s and 70s, you had a spillover of the way baseball was played in the Negro Leagues. And it was played loose and fast. 
And what happened was you started having more African-American players, especially in the National League. You had, you know, Lou Brock and Willie Mays and Frank Robinson with Cincinnati and, and Aaron and, you know, you just had a plethora of good players on every team and they could run. Maury mm-hmm. Wills out at the Dodgers, the go-go Dodgers, you don't remember that, but starting in 59, they stole their way into a World Series because they had great wow. pitching because they had a guy named Sandy Koufax, the best pitcher I've ever seen in my life. Um, even still, even with some of these greats, you still consider Sandy Koufax the best pitcher you've ever watched. Followed by Bob Gibson. And once again, I was a kid, so maybe that's it. We're the two best pitchers I ever saw. How would they fare well against, how would they fare against some of today's modern hitters that have all this training and arc the bat a different way? They'd eat them up. Really? Yeah. Why is it? Is it because they had such control? Because it wasn't like Koufax was throwing, he wasn't throwing a hundred miles an hour, was he? Kofax threw real hard, and he had a great curve. Hmm. And but Kofax outthought you. He had everything. He had all the pitches, and he had the brain. Yeah. You know the only thing, the only reason Kofax didn't win more games was because of um, the uh, arthritis. You know that he. I mean, he had arthritis so bad he had to retire. How he do didn't you think- retire like an old man who couldn't pitch. He retired because of physical challenges. But anyway. You know, I, I I appreciate your perspective. Chipper Jones recently came out and said that he would hit 230, 250, would never crack 300. If he went up against today's pitchers, I believe he was talking about cats that are playing on the Braves right now, some of their great pitchers. Well, Is he being hard. humble? No, no I, I mean, I'm going to give it, you know, once again, I'm going to stop the old Giger. Things were always great back in the day. They throw so much harder, so many pitchers now can throw close to 100 miles an hour. That was unheard of back in the day. If you were throwing in the 90s, people were, like, frightened of you. (laughs) Nobody was throwing 98, 97, 96-mile-an-hour fastball. Nobody was – you know, I saw Chapman a couple years ago when he was ironically with Cincinnati at Wrigley Field. I was, like, right behind home plate. He was throwing 101 miles an hour pitches, man. It's like nobody was doing that back in the day. So, yeah, guys have gotten faster. I don't know if they've gotten any wiser because pitching is an art. And I I, I don't know if that many people, except for somebody like a Verlander, you know, uh, Scherzer, have picked up on the art of pitching. Yeah, absolutely. And, And also, if you look, the best pitchers in Major League Baseball aren't necessarily the fastest pitchers. No. They have the best stuff, the most control over their pitches. Most control, and, but they outthink you. Yes, exactly. Because that's the art of pitching. It's a chess game out there. If you had all to pick. Who, all the people who talk about how dull baseball is yeah. d- kind of don't know what they're watching. There's a lot going on. It's just exactly. the, the action only happens after the pitch is thrown. The mental part is going on all the time. So true. He's got to pay attention to the base runners. There's so many variables at all times, especially if there's a base runner on that the pitcher has to worry about. How much do you think that the pitch clock changes some of those variables? Do you think it's good for the game or do you think it just adds another game? Because the game was too slow. Baseball, baseball probably saved itself and it probably should have done what it's doing now five years ago or so. Once again, when you're old in your ways, it takes a minute to realize that you're old. 
Baseball yeah. finally realized it was old and losing young people in droves. People, you know, when games last four hours, my God, who's got that yeah. kind of damn time? Somebody okay. hammered at the, at the stadium like me. Like that, that's what it was. The, uh, to me, it was the best when it was slow. You go to the, the stadium now, you're out of there in two hours. When you get up in the seventh inning and you leave. You're, you're looking at, especially a game on a weeknight and you got kids and it's going on 10 o'clock or whatever, or school night, you're tired. Then you got to fight true. with the crowd to get out of wherever you park. I mean, come on, man. That's that's the game. And then there's a the process in larger cities, even a place like the Twin Cities, of getting the hell out of the parking garage and getting back on the road to, to get home. Very good point. All right, I and know you got to go, Joseph. And I got one more question. You put stadiums out in the boonies, and that makes it even more. Very good day. point, which they're not going to stop doing, it seems. They're actually No, they're doing no. Twin City Stadium is in the heart of downtown Minnesota. Oh, it yeah. is. Well, they, no, there's rumors out there. More and more. Baltimore. Did you see that your other Chicago team just today fired their general manager and president of the ball club, and rumor has it that the White Sox might be relocating in 2029 to Memphis, Tennessee. So we'll see what happens. But just from being from Chicago, growing up there, do you see that being a possibility? Is there? I never noticed any White Sox fans. It seems that everybody's a Cubs fan. No, there are a lot of White Sox fans. I, I think there's a phenomenon with the Cubs, you know. Uh, and, you know, you had Harry Carey, you had Jack Rick. I mean, it, it just goes back from the announcers and all of that. Um, and how can I put this? <laughs> The, the Cubs are the white team in Chicago and the White Sox are the black team, okay? And when you really? talk about fans, yeah, because the White Sox are in on the south side, like in the heart of the hood. Ah, kind of. so and there's the more Cubs are on the north side, and if you know that anything about Wrigleyville, that north side is close to North Michigan, close to the Magnificent Mile, and it's, uh, in general, much wider, much wealthier part of town. One more question for you, because we do have to wrap the show up, and I know how busy you are. With all of your knowledge of this game, who do you think is the greatest baseball player to ever step on that diamond? Gosh. If you had to pick I one. That's, I, I think that's too hard. Too, there's been too many, but I would say the first two that come to mind, Babe Ruth and Willie Mays. And thats I didn't expect you to say that answer, Babe Ruth, because that was during the days of all-white players – not as much athleticism. Babe Ruth was Shohei Otani before Otani. Babe Ruth would have been a Hall of Fame pitcher just alone. And they stopped him from pitching because he started hitting those home runs. Great assessment, Babe Joseph. Ruth, for a pudgy dude, was a tremendous athlete. That is true, too. When you go back, it's hard to tell with a lot of those video clips, but numbers don't lie. The yeah. man was amazing and incredible. Yeah. So, Mr. Hill, thank you so much. Joseph, where can they follow and find you out? We already know about Official Black Truth on social media. Where else can these fine folks that are listening now find more of your work and thoughts? Um, well, that's one of the reasons I'm working with you, and, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to be working with you. I don't have a lot out there. If you go to YouTube, I've got a lecture on the Red Summer, which is something we should talk about. Talk about a historical yes. period that most people in the country don't know about it. It's about an hour-long lecture, so it's under my name, Joseph Hill. Go to Red Summer, the Red Summer, and you'll find a lot of American history, and it's about 
the summer of 1919. Start uh, there and look up Red Summer, Joseph yeah. Hill on YouTube, so you can watch some great content. And like you said, we're going to be working together, doing more stuff. It's, dude, it's truly an honor to have you on here, man. Just an incredible mind, an incredible database of knowledge in that head of yours, Joe. Truly appreciate you. And so do the listeners. We always get great feedback. There's going to be great clips on our YouTube page at the Ryan Show FM on YouTube clips of this interview, video format with some pictures and B-roll to make it a little bit more aesthetic for those with ADD. Folks, we'll be back next week. Love you guys. Appreciate you all. Go to theryanshow.net for more content. Joseph, thanks for everything. Shouts to Steph G for coming on earlier. And if you want more Americana and American culture, you know where to go. TheRyanShow.net. Over and out, folks. See you later. Love ya. Peace. Peace.